From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And I'm stoked for today's episode. We're going to be discussing one of my favorite films of the year, Not Going Quietly. But before we get into it, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe to Film Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from for weekly episodes where we not only interview filmmakers with new theatrical releases like we're doing today, we also do our themed Gimme Three episodes and we highlight LADFF filmmakers as well. So click that subscribe button. We've got plenty coming up and plenty in our archives as well. As I mentioned, though, today we are joined by not one, but two incredible guests. Their new film, Not Going Quietly, won the South by Southwest Audience Award for Feature Documentary, and it hits theaters today, August 13th. We're joined by the film's director, Nicholas Bruckman, and producer, Amanda Roddy. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. This is exciting. And uh, one of the favorites of the year. Wow. Yeah, and that is a genuine sentiment. I really, really love the film. It is uplifting. It is eye-opening. I learned a lot. And surprisingly, going into it, I wasn't expecting this. I laughed a lot also, which was awesome, a pleasant surprise. Hmm. But if you can, tell the audience a little bit about Not Going Quietly. Sure, I'll uh, jump in. Uh, Not Going Quietly is a feature documentary that tells the story of activist Adi Barkin. Adi was a young father and rising progressive activist who had spent his career fighting for social justice issues when he was suddenly and devastatingly diagnosed with ALS. And where most people would fall into despair, I know I certainly would, Adi decided to turn his disease into a tool to fight for universal health care. He gets on a plane and goes to D.C. to protest and of all coincidences, on the way back, runs into Senator Jeff Flake on the airplane, who is the deciding vote on the tax bill that will affect healthcare for 13 million Americans. And he tells Jeff Flake how he should vote for the sake of his young son at home and the future they will have as a family. And the video of this interaction is captured by the woman next to him. And the video goes viral before the plane lands and Adi is propelled to being the face of this issue in the United States. And that's where the movie begins as Adi, his new partner in crime who we met on the plane, and a motley crew of young activists travel the country fighting for healthcare and to leave a better world for his son. And it's, it's just really an amazing journey that both of you captured so beautifully. If you can, take us into your first meeting with Adi and how you pitched doing a feature documentary, following him around? Was he immediately open to the idea? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. We had first started working with Adi because his campaign reached out to us to make a political ad to announce the kind of birth of Be a Hero. And we made that with him and subsequently made a few other videos and kind of worked on developing a relationship with him and his team and realized that they were going on this crazy RV road trip from California to Maine. And, you know, we were hired to come alongside them. And we decided that this feels like something bigger. This feels like potentially a feature film. So uh, we had asked Adi if, you know, he wouldn't mind if we kind of spent some time filming with him and his team. 
after hours between making political ads to see if uh, we could we could actually make something out of it. And I think when we first met him and we first started filming with him, we both kind of fell in love with him. He's such a charismatic guy um, who cares deeply about other people and wanted to fight for a better world. And that kind of energy was really infectious. And we knew that a lot of other people would love and appreciate getting to know him and would be affected by him and his story for the better. And so we pitched him the idea of the documentary and he did agree. And I think a large part of that too is because what we tried to do in making this film is uh, create a time capsule for his children to remember him by and remember the work that he was doing at that point in time. And that was a huge motivating factor for him. So we always tried to keep that in mind while filming. Yeah. And Nicholas, I noticed in your director's statement, you mentioned navigating kind of like ethical issues of documenting an illness. I mean, in a way, when, whenever you're making a documentary, you have to navigate some ethical issues. And in Addie's case, you're covering his life. You're covering his disease throughout the film. And as the film is going along, you know, with ALS, he's losing the ability to speak. Talk to us, if you can, about how you guys set boundaries for yourself in following him and what kind of boundaries did you kind of negotiate with him as you were making this documentary about a man going through a very serious disease? Sure. So I think Adi had already, by the time we met him, he had just confronted Senator Jeff Flake. And I think he had already firmly in his mind made the decision to put his personal story and his family's tragedy on display as a weapon in this fight. And so when we talked to him about doing that in a journalistic, long form, intimate, you know, be there in the doctor's appointments and in discussions with, you know, at home and moments with his son, I think he understood inherently this idea of the personal is political. And so it wasn't somebody who needed a lot of convincing about why his story mattered and why sharing one's pain can be powerful because he had just captivated the whole nation by doing that on an airplane in a short clip. We wanted to go behind the scenes on that. From an access standpoint, what's interesting was the harder story to tell was getting under the hood of how a political movement like this is built. And so what was really important to us was show the planning that went into capturing that video on the plane. It wasn't totally spontaneous. They strategized, they met, they talked, they knew what they were doing. And there was serendipity, but there was also planning that went into that. And subsequently with the entire building of the movement, you see all of these encounters that they have on the road, which are actually part of this deeply planned strategy to use these videos as political ads in the midterm elections. And that a lot of this activism that we see that they refer to as political theater is actually very much designed as a tool and a tactic to influence elections and outcomes later on in a way that you don't always see on screen. And I think we wanted to really show that and and navigating that access with Liz and Adi was actually more challenging than saying, hey, can we film the progression of the disease? Because Liz, for example, thinks of herself as kind of a behind the scenes person. She didn't want to be the face of this. She wanted Adi to do that. She's a political strategist. And this is often the case with people who aren't the principal in the campaign. But we really wanted to show the collaboration that went into building this movement. And we wanted to do that not as an expose because, oh, look at these tools and tricks that they use, but actually to kind of humanize and bring to earth the idea that movements like Be a Hero, like Black Lives Matter, these things that become hashtags and massively influential campaigns 
are built in a way that's doable and relatable and understandable. But it was always a fight to be in the room when they were talking about how the sausage gets made. But I think those make for some of the most interesting scenes in the film. In terms of filming the personal stuff, Adi really led the way. I mean, Adi would say, guys, I'm, I'm getting in the shower, let's go. And, and you know, tell me to jump in with him to, to get the shot. And so it was interesting that the political was where the access really had to be built. That being said, I think that we tried to be extremely careful and sensitive about the portrayal of the disease, showing its realities, but also not making it saccharine or making him an object of pity. But he really led the way on that. And what you see is really what you get with him in the film. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as a shy guy when I was watching this film. So that completely makes sense. And and yeah, I think the uh, the political grassroots stuff is super fascinating and kind of like empowering. Like it made me want to get out there and, and roll up my sleeves, which I think is fantastic. I think one of the other beautiful things about the film is how much it highlighted in, in kind of a tangential way, like teamwork like obviously it's Adi's story but the teamwork of the be a hero campaign seeing the team execute come up with these plans go on this tour and execute it and and see results was great not only that teamwork but the teamwork with him and rachel and like keeping this family together and obviously rachel was so integral to that but i just thought teamwork was such a like a breathtaking takeaway for me watching this film yeah i think that's a, a really good point and Adi talks a lot of too about how he finds his spirituality in democracy and the fact that together we're greater than the sum of our parts. And I think that's carried through in his work and the way he works with his campaign and it also in the relationships that he has in his personal life. That's something that it's a notion he and Rachel share and his family share on a deeper level too. That every everything is part of something greater. So that's another really beautiful part about him and his message too, I think. Absolutely. Can you two take me into, you know, at a certain point, Be the Hero organization goes on a, on a tour, you know, that you guys are going across the country speaking to public representatives. Talk to us about what it was like for you guys from a filmmaking standpoint, shooting a documentary on the road for weeks at a time. Yeah, it was really crazy. We got a film production RV, I mean, a regular RV that we made into a production RV, and we followed theirs across 22 states over about 40 days between four and five crew members. And we were all packed into a a pretty small spot. Um, We were editing on the road, which was tricky and living in truck stops and eating at diners and showering at the same spots as the tour. And the real challenge of it was keeping up with them. Because Adi was, as you see in the film, like furiously talking to as many people and many voters as he could throughout that time and going from place to place. And we had to beat them there, get the cameras ready and keep up with Adi, who was rolling at like 15 miles an hour, literally in his chair from event to event. <laughs> um, and and the, the cool thing was, as Amanda alluded to earlier, by day we were doing this kind of righteous political work and following that journey. But at night, it was really a road trip. It was a group of young people in what was a both kind of beautiful and and hilarious and and poignant trip, taking Adi on what's probably his last road trip and having the time of their lives and having campfires and making s'mores and getting high at night and doing the work in the day. And as you were saying before about the teamwork, I think one of the things a lot of people you know, ask about ALS and this film being about that, but I think the film is, and, and the pain of that, and I think the film is equally about the joy and celebratory 
nature of building community through social justice work. And that's what that trip was really about. You mentioned that you were editing on the road. Take us, if you can, into the editing process. The film is just, it's cut wonderfully. It moves like a freight train. And I think you guys find a really great balance of the activism as a key element, the grassroots activism, and Adi's personal life and his family life. How did you find that balance? Was it clear right off the bat or was it, you know, kind of something that you had to play with? Good question. It's definitely something we had to play with for over a year. Um, (laughs) There were many different iterations of this film and over 300 hours of footage that we had to watch down and transcripts that we had to pour over. And so, you know, there was a version of the film where Liz's character was a little bit more prominent and that made us feel like and. People who watch Rough Cuts feel like Rachel wasn't as president and they want they missed her and wanted to know where she was. So we definitely had to figure out a way to dial some scenes back in order to make room for other characters to have more focused uh, more clearly in the film because it was important and true to the story. So to answer your question, yeah, there was a lot of rejiggering. And I think a huge part of that is like having people who weren't as close to the project as us watch it and give us feedback and tell us what they thought because I think um, we got a little bit too entrenched in it and it's really hard to see it with a fresh pair of eyes. So having other people provide feedback really helped us to shift things around um, and make sure that the story moved as well as it possibly could and that scenes were arranged in a way that made sense to people viewing it and kept people emotionally engaged and also provided them that levity and humor at just the right moments too um, because obviously what Adi and his family were going through and continue to go through is really heavy and really difficult. But the reality is he's a really freaking funny guy. So um, (laughs) he provided us with a lot of comic relief. And that was another thing that we kind of had to hammer out in the edit. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Like I said, it moves briskly. Like I was ready to watch another three hours of Adi's journey (laughs) when it was over. So (laughs) all that to Kent Bassett, the editor who worked with us for, for over a year on it. Absolutely. You know, when you start a documentary, you, sometimes you don't know where it's going to go or you have no control over, you know, the reality of what happens. You don't know what, what the ending is per se. But as you guys started this documentary, Audie becomes kind of like a national figure. He gets propelled and he's like a, a national media and all this stuff. So what's going through your guys' head as his charisma and his story and his message starts to gain traction throughout media, throughout the country? That must have been exciting, right? Yeah, it was pretty insane. I mean, I felt a mix of luck and also of brilliant foresight that we knew in advance (laughs) where he was going. But of course, we couldn't have predicted it. And as a filmmaker, of course, it feels like, oh, we've got that documentary gold. We we knew him before he was big. But really, Adi had been doing pretty amazing work all of his life, even before his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't really surprising that he continued to rise. I just think nobody could have expected it in the way that it happened. And I think from a filmmaking perspective, one thing that that I would share, which was challenging, was that, yes, we had this great opportunity. Okay, we've got intimate access to somebody who's becoming famous. But actually, it created this problem where Adi kept being in the news and doing stuff that was newsworthy. And we oftentimes, I think, were distracted by that. Like, right. uh, examples, and, there's many, and many of them did not make the film. Many major headline-making things that Adi did are not in the movie, and I can you know name them, and folks who, who see his work will, will see those things, his incredible campaign against Susan Collins in Maine, the work he did during the pandemic to make sure that vaccine patents were released and distributed fairly internationally, and a dozen more. 
And it was really important for us not to get caught up in that and to really make sure that the arc, which was inherently as he loses his voice, his platform grows. And as his platform grows, he discovers that through this activism work, he can be closer and more connected as a father. We had to always keep our eyes set on that. And so I think that's kind of a lesson that I learned is when you are doing something about somebody who's in the media, you've got to stay focused on what your story is, not theirs. Right. Totally makes sense. My last question for you both, which is a question I ask a lot of the filmmakers we have on, when you're doing a long-term project like this, you inevitably you're going to come out changed in some way. So for each of you, what's your final takeaway from this project personally, not from a career standpoint? It's really, really difficult. I've always had a hard time figuring out exactly one way to sum up the way in which I feel like I've been changed by being led into Adi's life and the life of his colleagues. I think a lot of it comes down to how you spend your time and who you spend it with and how you treat the people around you and how sometimes focusing on that can provide you with the most meaning and energy in life. And I think the way in which I saw him kind of go through his life with grace and you know, the relationships that he formed with his family and his colleagues um, in the work that he did to change the world for the better and the energy that brought him and the fact that he still feels like even though his lifespan has been cut short, he hasn't regretted a single second of his time and what he's spent it on. I think that's caused me to really refocus and reprioritize the way in which I pursue things in life and um, show up for other people in my life. So that's one of the greatest gifts I think he gave me and a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I, I have a similarly personal reaction to the work with Adi. Definitely, I was inspired, uh, the cliche that we explore in the film, by him as an activist. And I, it kind of reignited my passion around doing the work and not having any excuses. But on a, a personal level, the really transcendent impact on me was seeing Adi and Carl's relationship develop and how Adi adapted as a father. And I had a very difficult relationship with my father growing up and I had a lot of um, doubts about ever wanting to be a dad. And um, that's my um, five month old screaming in the background. I'm not sure if he's coming through. Somebody give um, that kid a tip. That was perfect timing. You heard it? Yeah, it was, it was, right, <laughs> it was right on cue. Um, you know, he's the same age that Carl was when Adi was diagnosed. And so I've been thinking about that moment for Adi a lot and what he made at that time. But seeing Adi create the bond he did with Carl made me really feel like I could do it. If Adi can be a great activist, we can all do it. And if Adi can, can be a father without the use of his body, then my, you know, wh whatever baggage I have, that same very profound, very intimate, sort of deep feeling of showing up as a man of for other people. And in my case, for my son. That's great. Thank you both so much for that answer. And thank you both so much for making this film. It was incredibly empowering, wildly entertaining, and I'm super thrilled that it's getting a theatrical release. Not going quietly. It's available in select theaters today. So check your local listings. And if you're in Los Angeles, like most of our listeners are, I believe it's playing at the Lemley Royal Theater. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're diving into our favorite segment, Give Me Three. Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival is back. 
And for the first time ever, the festival will include both in-person and online screenings. Three in-person screenings will be held over three Thursdays starting July 29th with the musical rom-com Best Summer Ever held at the Lemley Town Center in Encino. August 5th, we're back in Encino for the theatrical premiere of the gripping documentary In the Dark of the Valley. And on August 12th, you'll be able to see the award-winning short films selected by our esteemed jury at the Lemley NoHo 7 in North Hollywood. Our online festival will be available at LADFF.com from August 1st through 14th, with new films premiering every five days. Tickets for both in-person and online screenings are available right now at LADFF.com. Use the promo code FORWARD for 10% off. We are so excited to see you all back at the movies. Join us for the 8th Annual Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. All right, welcome back to Film Forward. We are here with Nicholas Bruckman and Amanda Roddy. Their incredible documentary, Not Going Quietly, is being released in theaters today. And right now we're going to talk about some films that have inspired the director, Nicholas Bruckman. So Nicholas, let's get your first pick, sir. This is a tough ask. So I um, tried to pick a diverse slate, starting with When the Mountains Tremble, which is a 1983 documentary made by Pamela Yates. And it tells the story of Rigoberta Menchu and the conflict between the Guatemalan military and government and the indigenous people there in an uprising. It sounds sort of obscure, but I think it won the Sundance Prize at the time. And it was directed by my college girlfriend's parents. Wow. So I saw it as a, I think, 17 year old, uh, no idea what I was in for in an edit room. And it goes behind the scenes as a verite documentary with the actual guerrilla fighters who are these teenage fighters in the hills of Guatemala. And then it also goes behind the scenes how they somehow got access on the helicopters with the military forces who were oppressing them. And it's this seemingly objective both sides documentary that ultimately is a completely damning portrait of U.S. foreign policy. And the film not only totally radicalized me in my politics, but also made me want to be a documentary filmmaker um, like her parents. And so I reference it a lot. I think it's, you know, out there. I'm not sure exactly where folks can stream it, but it was, it was just kind of that eye-opening thing for me of, holy shit, films can make people wake up. You know, it's not, it's not easy to change people's politics through films or otherwise. And this was one that, that did that for me. Yeah, this is a visceral and powerful experience. I remember watching it, I think I saw like a decade ago, and some of those images are just still burned into my brain forever. When the Mountains Tremble, I believe it's available on Canopy right now, and then it's available on multiple streaming platforms to rent. It's uh, an incredible film. Highly recommend everybody checking it out. Excellent first choice, Nicholas. Let's get your second pick. Sure. So the next one is like maybe a little bit cliche. I I wanted to pick a narrative though. And so I um, chose Patra Panchali by Satyajit Ray. I grew up watching Bengali and Indian movies because my mother's family is Indian from West Bengal and Calcutta. And he was sort of revered as a god in my family and and (laughs) community. So obviously this is something well known by kind of art students. But for me, what was really impactful about his movies, and I know his movies have, have sort of changed a lot of people's lives and inspired a lot of filmmakers, 
but it was this idea of kind of using non-professional actors and of using real people and, and how he portrays the lives of real people and how his direction sort of blends the worlds of, of fiction and documentary. And I, I really strive for um, both the narrative and fiction work I've, I've made. I've, I've worked on some films in India as well to blur those lines, to make, and I hope not going quietly feels narrative in the way that the Apu trilogy feels like a documentary, even though it's, even though it's not. I think knowing that he was doing that so early in an ecosystem that hadn't yet developed for the arts in a style that I think is so impactful and feels so fresh and new right now. I just always talk about him to young people and to students because it's, it's an old art form and, and this kind of like art house cinema culture is dying. And there's not a lot of places except like the MoMA where you can see this. So one to pick a classic. Absolutely. And a classic it is. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous film. And take something new from it each time you watch it. Pather Panchali, it is available right now on HBO Max, actually. So give that a watch if you haven't seen it. It's like uh, it's like the Citizen Kane of India. <laughs> An absolute classic. All right, our our third and final pick. So I picked Crip Camp, something modern and you know current that just came out last year at Sundance. And this is in the vein, I think, of, of not an old school cinema classic, but a current piece of social justice documentary filmmaking. And the reason I wanted to call it out is because not only does it have overlap with some of the themes of not going quietly, um, historically, it sets the precedent for the work that Adi's doing with the amazing militant civil rights work of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the movement around the ADA and bringing it into life, but also because it was made by a filmmaker, Jim Lebrecht, with disabilities. And I think it's incredibly important to uplift uh, filmmakers with disabilities right now and, and to create more diversity and inclusion for that sector. I think that is one of the reasons that I brought it up. And I just think it's an amazing companion piece to Not Going Quietly. Maybe see Crip Camp first so you can see the giants who Adi uh, stands on their shoulders. Totally agree. I think that would be a great double feature and watch Crip Camp. And then in our archives, we have a great interview with directors Jim Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan, and they were just wonderful to talk to. We go even deeper dive into uh, the making of that film. So check out Crip Camp. It's available on Netflix. It just won the Peabody Award, for God's sake. So check it out. Mm -hmm. And then also check out our interview with the incredible directors. And once you do all that, check out Not Going Quietly, which is hitting theaters today, not to be missed. Just an uplifting, incredible experience. Amanda, Nicholas, I want to thank you both so much for taking the time out to talk to us today. Oh my gosh, thank you. It was wonderful speaking with you. Thanks again for talking about Not Going Quietly. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here and to chat with you about the film. I'm glad it resonated with you and I appreciate you sharing the word. Both of you have an open invitation anytime you guys want to come back. So uh, hope to have you back soon. And thank you all for listening to Film Forward. We'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward and you'll hear us next time. <laughs>